0: three we'll go ahead and if we can read this all together then he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let lose or forfeit their very self you guys may be seated thank you I titled today's message, um, Fans of the Resurrection. Um, If you guys were here last week... Brian Smoker was up and he shared a little bit about Palm Sunday and he talked about how uh it, it was this great culmination of all this Old Testament prophecy as as the Israelite nation the Jewish people they were looking forward to this Messiah um and and Jesus he was uh more or less on kind of a hot streak um he had he had done a lot of uh miracles and he healed a lot of people and um and he 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 was just Things were going well and his disciples were getting excited. He had kind of had waves in his ministry where people would follow him and then, and then he'd teach something kind of hard and then they'd be like, well, maybe not. And then he'd do something else, you know, like, like he would feed 5,000 people and, and everyone would come after him because they wanted free food who doesn't want free food? I love free food. And that usually brings me back. That's actually part of my story, how I came to faith in Jesus was someone was offering some free food at a Bible study and it didn't really get in the way of what I wanted to do. And, uh, and so I went. But this morning, um, we think of of uh, Palm Sunday and through Passion Week as we get to, of course, today, which is Easter Sunday, Sunday the day that Jesus rose. And, and I want to look at um, the fans versus the followers of Jesus. And you could kind of see that as the week went by that, that many of the people, right? A fan usually isn't tested. You don't know if someone's really a fan or a follower until that's tested. And so, um, I'm a big sports guy. I know there's a lot of sports people in here and I, I kind of used a couple of different illustrations, but, um, I'm sure because we're in New England, a lot of people are New England Patriots fans here, right? Now I've always told Marcus, I'm like, I'm not going to be, I'll probably become a New England Patriots fan one day because you know, everyone else is, it's fun to kind of rile around a team. I'm definitely, you know, well, right now I'm barely a fan. And they win exactly, they do i, I can 't deny that no none of us can deny that the New England Patriots win well I, I keep telling them i 'm like i 'll become a fan of them when tom brady 's no longer there because i can 't jump on the bandwagon now, right, and, and that wouldn 't really show that i 'd be a follower of the New England Patriots. That would just show, oh yeah i 'll hop on because we 're winning and we 're doing good and uh, but but I can guarantee you, right now we see a lot of fans of the New England Patriots. You're going to find out who the followers are when Tom Brady leaves. And maybe Bill Belichick will have to leave too. But but the year that, that maybe they have a really bad year. Maybe they don't, God forbid, maybe they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> or the AFC Championship game. Um, we won't really see who's a follower of them. I'm... Uh, this is this is a little more personal for me, but I'm a I'm uh, more of a college fan. I like the Louisville Cardinals, uh, their basketball and their football specifically. And where I used to live down in Louisville, everyone's all it's it's like it's like here about the Patriots, but on steroids for college. And everyone loves basketball because University of Kentucky and U of L have this big uh, rivalry thing going. Anyways. It was going great. A couple years ago, back in like 2012, 2013, um, we had, we had won the national championship in basketball. Everything was super exciting. I knew everything there was to know about that team. And our, and our football team was also pretty frequently ranked in the top 25 and, and was really, really exciting. And everyone in the city was, was, you know, watching all the games and talking about it. And, and then all of a sudden, a couple years after that, many maybe you guys have heard about it, but there were all these allegations that came out against our coach, and, and it's just really sketchy things going on with recruiting. Our athletic director got fired. All of a sudden, our our basketball team, which is traditionally really good, kind of got not so good. And and then this past year, our football team, on top of that, just had like one of the worst years, I think, in Louisville history. And you could really tell you can really tell the difference between that follower and the fan when that hard time kind of like came around and you can it really tests like am i really am i really a follower or am i just a fan of them and here jesus is coming in on palm sunday everyone's they're saying hosanna hosanna to jesus and they're they're Envisioning Jesus coming into Jerusalem, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful uh a picture of the Old Testament. If if you guys have uh, read a little bit into like Ezekiel, Ezekiel was the last time the actual presence, the physical presence of God was in Jerusalem, and and the uh, the Babylonians came in and they ravaged Jerusalem, and God's present presence left uh, left Jerusalem. And, and what was cool was Jesus, when he entered back into the city, he entered from the same route that, that God had left in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel shared of God's presence leaving. And so Jesus comes back in his beautiful, uh, you know, fulfillment of prophecy there, he, even a fulfillment of prophecy that he was riding on a donkey, all this amazing things. And everybody was like, Hosanna, which means save me now. Um, Brian talked a little bit about that last week, and everyone's like, "This is great! Like he just he just raised this guy Lazarus from the dead. He's been doing all these miracles. We're gonna, you know, we don't like the Roman government because they're persecuting the Jewish people, and so he's gonna come in and he's gonna he's gonna rule for us, and he's gonna defeat Rome and and they." They really, they were looking at the physical. They were so focused on the physical and they're like ready. They're ready for a physical kingdom. They're ready for for Jesus to take over and for for them to follow him in that sense. And and you see a lot of people that were really after their perception of what the kingdom of God would be like. And yet, while Jesus did come in that day and, and he looked kind of the part of what they thought he would be. Because they would, they would receive benefit. They received benefit from his physical things. Um, he came in a very different way. And in a way that, that they didn't want. Really the only people who weren't that excited about Jesus coming. Were the religious leaders of the time. Who at that time were plotting to kill him. Because they felt threatened by him. And he comes in. And you've got all these fans. And everyone in the city is excited to see him. Now what happened. From Sunday to Friday. I mean he everyone was for him, and then all of a sudden every like the people who were who were laying down the palms and saying the king is here were, were yelling, crucify him just four days later. What happened? And uh and we know we know it, a little later in, in John, um he uh uh sorry, Jesus is talking to Pilate just before he's condemned to die and Pierre, or sorry, Pilate, I keep saying Peter. Pilate asked him, Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Like these guys, they're all they're all, you know, saying, Crucify you, like I I I don't think you're that guilty. And and Jesus says, He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus had a kingdom that was different than what what they expected. And I think a lot of times we have this idea of of all the benefits that Jesus can give us. And so we're so focused on on saying Jesus I'll will be your fan. You know, I'll I'll be uh, maybe a good word to describe fan as an enthusiastic admirer. I'll be your enthusiastic admirer as long as you give me all those things. As long as you, you bring me peace and joy and love and, and, and prosperity. And for, the, for those, those fans that week, they're like, as long as you defeat Rome and as long as we can have a kingdom reigning and, and Jewish, like the Jewish nation is, is over everybody else. And they reclaim Israel like they had in the, in the Old Testament under King David and King Solomon. And, and they didn't get what they expected. As Jesus said, no, it's not It's not going to be like that. In fact, he said a lot of things about that were difficult for them to believe, which was he was telling them to be obedient to Rome. He was telling them, God has placed the, the Roman leadership over you. And they're like, what? We don't want to obey them. And, and Jesus was really countercultural in this way. And, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And they didn't want to accept it because that kingdom meant they would... Probably suffer um, I want to talk through some of these events if I know Brian last week he said he had uh, this uh, what do you call it like a, a pamphlet um, Word of life makes this little pamphlet, and it talks through the days of the week, um, and I guess they had that i wasn 't here but i I listened to the sermon, which is kind of cool but um, they had that pamphlet, and I hope you guys, some of you guys, got to walk through the days of the Passion Week as, as we approach uh, Sunday. But I, I, if you didn't, I, I want to do a quick little summary of some of the events to kind of give us some clarity and some context So, what happened from Sunday to Friday, um, and then, of course, on to, to today. Um, but... Obviously, Sunday is the day Jesus comes in. everyone welcomes him. Um, really exciting. The King is here we 're ready for that for that kingdom to be reigning and and defeat the Romans on Monday. Uh, Jesus goes and he clears the temple. Now this is the second time he had done that. He he goes in and and there's these money changers and all these people who are defiling God's holy temple. And he and he runs them out in a in a fit of you know almost rage, but like this passionate godly rage where he's like, I don't want my God like God's temple to be defiled. Which is a, I think an important reminder for us as as God calls our bodies. His temple. Now that now that God's presence doesn't reside in a building in a temple like they had back then, but it resides in His believers and those who who are followers of Jesus. And I think it's an important reminder that that we should strive to keep our temple undefiled and and beautiful. But anyways, Tuesday comes and and then he gives this this famous uh, speech essentially to the to the uh, religious leaders, where he's the, the woes to the religious leaders. He calls them out. I remember the first time I read through this and I was like, wow, did he just say that? He was calling them, he called them like, I don't, I don't know if we use this language anymore, but he called them snakes and vipers <laughs> and, uh, and did various things like that. Called them out on their hypocrisy. Called them hypocrites uh, a couple of times and uh, calls them out on their, they, they would teach one thing about the word of God and then live completely different but they would have everything look good on the outside and uh, and that maybe that's maybe that's us maybe that's some of us in the, in this room i know i can slip into that sometimes where i'm like i can look really good on the outside cuz i know what to do to look like a christ follower when in my heart i know i'm not i'm not really close to god but then he goes and he gives this. Uh, he goes out of the city um, to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and he gives this. Uh, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Um, Mount of Olives, Olivet. I don't know. They just named it that. Um, and and that's where he shares of what's to come and his second coming. And, uh, and then he stays the night in, in Bethany. Then the next day on Wednesday, it's kind of silent. We don't really know much of what happened. Um, the best I can gather is that he was probably preparing for the Passover. Um, the Passover was Thursday. And that was a big deal back then. I know many of us have probably heard of the Passover and that it was a reminder of of God leading the Israelites out of Egypt back in the Old Testament. But you got to imagine this. Uh, you know, and especially in Lincoln, because we can kind of get this. um, There were about 40,000 people that lived in Jerusalem at the time. And I I believe, Brian said this last week, I believe it it was about, it would expand to about 200,000 people um, in in just this one one, uh, feast that they would do, the Passover feast to remember. 40,000 to 200,000. That is island games here in town. Um, so if you can imagine crazy amounts of traffic, you know, probably families going left and right, getting mad at each other, all sorts of stuff, just craziness. So they're getting prepared for this. And uh, and then comes Thursday, and there's a lot that happens on Thursday. As we remember the Passover meal, they set up the Passover meal. Jesus knows this is his last meal with the disciples. And so he he goes in and he's like, what's the last things that I want to share with them? And um, he talks about a lot in in the book of John, if you get a chance. I believe it's 13 through 18 is all these final kind of speeches to his disciples. What do they want to know? But then he goes and he washes their feet. A beautiful picture of what what does Jesus say that a leader should look like in his kingdom? And it's one who's a servant. As he, as he washes the feet of his disciples, a beautiful display of, of leadership. And then he goes to share about the Lord's Supper. And he says, this, is, this bread represents my body and it will be broken for you. And I want you to, when, I, when you take this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember uh, my life and what I've done for you and how, how my body broke for you. And then he said, I'm going to take this cup. And this cup uh, that's filled with wine is a representation of my blood, my blood that was spilled for you. Now they understood at that time, the Israelites understood blood and the significance of it. Um, it. It meant life. But but more specifically, it was the payment that was for what sin was. When when we sin against God and when we rebel against God, there's there's blood to be paid. And so in the Old Testament, they would take, this perfect lamb their best lamb and they would slaughter it and and it's blood you know it was a bloody scene and the passover was a very bloody scene as they they would sacrifice all these animals and so they were right in front i mean if you can really imagine just slaughtering like animal after animal because because guess what we sin a lot and it was no different back then and so they knew they knew that the blood that he was talking about was talking about the blood that was for the forgiveness of their sins and and it gives rich new meaning to, to Jesus when we call him the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said that about Jesus before his ministry really got going. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus show, showing, I am the Lamb of God and my my blood is the forgiveness, uh, it will, will give you the forgiveness of your sins. And that points back to uh, Isaiah 53. If any of you guys haven't read Isaiah 53, I challenge you to read it. Um, and and don't, just try to take yourself out of the perspective that it's in the Old Testament, because it's one of the most clear, uh, just pictures of Jesus, the suffering servant. Um, and I'm going to read uh, verses 5 and verse 7. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What a beautiful picture uh, of Jesus. Said this was 700 years before he was ever there. Um, It's funny, I've seen people who will take they'll take a couple of these passages from isaiah 53 and they just won't put any numbers on them and they're like here read this and they'll show them to people and they'll be like where did this come from and everyone will be like oh that's the bible it's talking about jesus new testament stuff and they're like no this is 700 years before he was born and uh just amazing fulfillment of prophecy as jesus is talking about the lord's supper supper then jesus goes and he prays in the garden this is uh you know he's it's coming upon he knows he's about to die um it says that he's sweating blood um which is just this immense amount of stress that you can have as he's sweating blood and he says father if you can take this cup please do but not not my will but yours as he prays that and and of course right after that judas comes in as as he betrays jesus and he betrays him with a kiss on the cheek um, and he 's taken away he 's taken in front of the the um, high priest, and the high priest condemns him to death um, for the for the charge of blasphemy, because Jesus was pretty clear he called himself God, and that was a serious serious offense to them unless it was true, um, but they didn 't think it was true, and so they condemned him to death, and on that same night, his best friend Peter denies him three times and talk about a rough night. Uh, he's condemned to die. His friends all leave. Um, It's funny because, uh, you know, they were supposed to be, I thought those were the followers. Those were the guys, they followed him around for three years. They gave up everything in their life. And and then they're just like, I'm out of here. This is crazy. I don't know him. You know, I'm like, what the heck? How did this happen? Then we go to Friday morning, bright and early. Pilate is now with Jesus, and, and he is uh, trying to find out, because at the time, the Jewish people, because they were under the oppression of Rome, Rome would not allow the Jewish people to execute anybody. So they could do little civil disagreements and, you know, little things, but they couldn't kill anyone. They couldn't do any capital punishments. They had to take them before Rome, which is pretty significant, as there are Old Testament prophecies about Jesus um, they didn't say crucified cause that wasn't a thing back when these prophets said that, but it said that his, his, his wrists and his feet, um, would be pierced. And so this was really Im- important because Jesus really only could have come during this time and it ha- had to happen then anyways, uh, Pilate doesn't really want to convict him. He doesn't think there's, he I mean, he might think he's kind of like stirring up a, a issue, but, but definitely not worthy of death. And, uh, and so what Pilate does, he's like, well, I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to, I'm going to flog him. We'll, we'll beat him. And, and then maybe that'll, you know, appease the Jewish people. And so they do that. And he's, he's scourged. It's a terrible beating, um, that Romans used to inflict on, on prisoners. And, uh, he's, he brings him back in front and he says, he says, is this good enough? This like, look at him. He's, he's bloody. He's beaten. Like, that's a punishment, right? That's a good punishment for, for what you're saying. And, and all the people in the crowd, um, including the ones who were saying, Hosanna, save me now, and saying, This is the king, uh, were the ones who were yelling out, Crucify him, crucify him. And it's really hard for me to hear that because I know that when I sin and when I rebel against God, I'm no different. I know I like to think, Why well, wouldn't be in that crowd? That wasn't me. You know, I, I would be, I'd be like on the Jesus train. I'd be the follower, but, but in reality, I know that my life doesn't always show that. Um, and so they were yelling for his death and uh, he's taken up and he's crucified. He's nailed to the cross. And at, at, just before he dies, he says a couple things. He first says, first says, father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's forgiving the people who are literally crucifying and rebelling against him at that moment. Romans 5, 8 says that, for we know God's love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which is a beautiful, beautiful truth because we know God's love and he was forgiving them as they were killing him. I don't know how he did that. Um, and, he, and then he says, it is finished. In other words, the payment is done. Like their sins are forgiven. Their past and present and future, they're forgiven. For those who follow, they're forgiven. And at that moment, the veil was torn in the temple. Um, This veil, this is no small little curtain. Um, There's the holy of holy places in the temple. And that was where they believed the physical, tangible presence of God was. And you couldn't go there. In fact, if you went there, you'd often die because God is so good and we are not. And when you go in there, you die immediately. And, and so they were terrified of that. But God knew that his goal wasn't to make his home in the temple a building. His goal was to make his temple in, in his people. And that's a, another Old Testament prophecy. There's so much. If you ever get a chance, look into the, the prophecy that was fulfilled from Jesus. That God would live within those who follow him. And the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. What's significant about this veil, it was like 20 or 30 feet wide. It was like 60 feet tall, and it was four inches thick of fabric. It took 300 priests to carry it alone, and it was torn from the top down, impossible for any human being to do. So God, God showed that you're not going to save yourself by tearing that veil and, and allowing my presence to come to you. It's only me. It's only by God's grace that we are saved. And so he tore the veil from the top down, really significant. And then he was laid in Joseph's tomb. I know I took a lot of time on Friday, but Saturday, he was in the tomb. And I can imagine that was a really hard day. I can imagine for you guys, um, if, I don't know if you're fans of the Patriots, but whatever team you might be a fan of, and you've been passionately following them, you're like all about them. Your, your highs and lows are all based on how well they do. And, and all of a sudden, everything comes crashing down. And, and how hard that would be. You're just like, I put, I put so much effort. I don't know if you guys have really strained towards something that you really wanted and then it all seemed to disappear. And, and I can't imagine the pain as these, these disciples who followed him around for three years, they gave up their families, they gave up so much of what they had, their careers. And, and all of a sudden he was dead and it seemed like it was over. A really, really tough day on Saturday. But Sunday... As we all know, this isn't the end of the story. Mary Magdalene and a couple other women went to the tomb and found it empty and found an angel that said, why are you looking here? He is risen. He told you he'd do this. He is risen. Go and tell the disciples, which is an amazing truth. And it's super important that we know that the resurrection happened. It's not just that Jesus paid for our sins when he died for us, because that wouldn't give us any hope. If Jesus, was, if Jesus died and stayed dead, not only would we be just like every other prophet that, that came and said, oh yeah, I'm this, I'm that, and then just died and stayed dead, but, but he showed I have, I have authority, I, I have conquered the grave, I have defeated Satan, and that's really important for us because if he didn't raise from the dead, we'd have no power over, over living a sinless life now. Over, you know, over having joy and peace and feeling like we can actually stand a fight against Satan. Because if by my own strength, I can't do it. There's no way. And so it's so important that he rose from the dead. And I love this because all of a sudden, you see, there's really just about no one at that point who you would say, yep, that's a follower. All of them kind of seemed like fans to me. Many of the, the disciples doubted. They had to see his wrists but there was something that changed that day. And I really want to ask that question because many, uh, all of us here today, if they were all just fans, none of us would be here. None of us would be here 2000 years later, just worshiping Jesus on, on a Sunday. And what's really crazy to think is that when, when they saw the risen Jesus, something changed. 11 of there were 11 disciples left after uh after Judas killed himself because he betrayed Jesus and and all of them but John went to the death proclaiming Jesus. All of a sudden these guys who were all cowards and ran all of a sudden they they're they're preaching with boldness being beaten and and killed and and they went to the death proclaiming that that he really rose from the dead. They were the only really some of the only people who were comp- like Eyewitnesses of this. And they knew for sure. So if, if he didn't really raise, there's no way they would go to, there's no way I would. And, and there's no way you could get 12 people to really believe the same thing about him coming to life after dying unless it really happened. And these people were clearly, these disciples were clearly not fans. And they knew, they knew that when the persecution came, it didn't matter because they were going to trust in him. Earlier uh, in, in the book of John, there's a, a, a cool story. And I think it really gives an idea of this fan versus follower kind of thing. He feeds this group of 5,000 people. And, uh, and after, I mean, everyone's all about, like I said, free food, I'll take it. Um, and, and a lot of these people, they come after him. And they're like, oh, like we want more free food. We want this, you know, and, and they want to, they're, they're fans of them. And and he's like, Jesus knew they weren't really followers. He knew that they were just after the free stuff. He knew that they were just after the blessings. And so he, I remember late, later in the chapter, he, he teaches this really hard teaching um, that was difficult for them about the Lord's Supper, about about how if you want to be my follower, you have to. Eat my body and drink my blood. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what all that means, but, but it was difficult for them to believe. And many of them, you know what, were like, this is ridiculous. Like, this guy was just feeding me stuff and I'll take the free food, but you're nuts. I'm out of here. And it says that many left. Jesus clearly was not interested in fans. And it's funny because services like this, uh, you know, like, uh, I think I have a lot of pressure, and, and other people in ministry have a lot of pressure on on times like this, like Easter, where a lot of people tend to show up that don't normally show up, and we're like, oh, if we could just do this, and, you know, maybe they feel loved, or maybe, you, you know, give them a donut or something, and they'll come back. Like, we want them to come back, and, and we'll preach all about Jesus' love, and John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. It's for you. And, and it's a beautiful passage, and it's 100% true, but but when the crowds came in Jesus' day, he usually didn't preach the, the wonderful good stuff about all the blessings. He didn't want people to just join on because he he gave them eternal life. He didn't want people to just join on because because, you know, we'd get joy and our families would be good. He didn't, he didn't want that. He, wanted, he didn't want people who just wanted the benefits of him. He wanted devoted followers who would follow him to the grave. And it, in a sense, when we read this passage in 923 through 25, if you look at it again. That's not on that one. It's right over here. Um, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross daily and follow me deny yourself he's saying you got to die to you and that was probably one of the hardest things five and a half years ago i gave my life to christ and and i remember thinking i'm like i have all these ideas for what my future is going to be like you know what my hopefully future wife or my career or my my school or or whatever what you name it whatever you're future is and I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do and and I remember when I made that choice to follow Jesus I knew that that was a choice where I'm like all of my plans I'm dead I I choose to die in fact I one day in the future I don't know when hopefully I don't hopefully Jesus comes back before then but um but I'm gonna die physically I'm gonna die physically we're all gonna die physically um Obviously, unless Jesus comes back before then, but um, but that's not going to be the day that I died. I died five and a half years ago when I put my trust in Him, and and a call, a, a decision to follow Jesus is a decision to die. A decision to be a fan of Jesus is a decision to maybe come a little bit more frequently, or you know, maybe you feel good about yourself because you do some stuff. Um, it's it's much different, and and like I said, he he wasn't looking. For fans. Jesus was looking for followers. And you saw that really clearly in his disciples. We die to ourselves. And I love that picture of the apostles as they switch, and it was like, these guys are not fans. You could see it. If you read through the book of Acts, you see that these guys were not fans. They, they, would, they were devoted to the teaching of Jesus. And my hope this morning, this is a wonderful morning first of all. This is a morning to rejoice. And for those of us who have died, I, I pray that every single one of us in this room have died in the sense that we've died to ourselves. But this, this is incredible news for us. But this is also wonderful news for those who haven't. This is amazing news for the, for the fans maybe in the room that, that there is a hope, that there is something more. I used to think that, that all the, the ideas for my future, my career, my wife, or my whatever would, would give me all the joy, all the peace, all the patience and kindness and love and all that, but it never would. And if it did, it might do it for maybe a season. My hope isn't to to feel like you're like, oh, this young kid came in and he's been at Bible school and he just said all this stuff and I feel really convicted. Like, this is a day to rejoice. But, um... It's also a day to maybe define a little bit of the relationship. We have that term DTR where we define the relationship. Um, I know we do it in, in relationships with, you know, like boyfriends and girlfriends. And every guy in the room doesn't want to hear that. Because it means commitment. You know, if, if we don't do that, if we don't do the DTR, you know, we can just have fun. Like it's just, you know, chill. We can enjoy each other. We can get the benefits. But what's nice is there's a the back door. I can get out. Like if it starts to get a little fishy, I can get out of here. Um, And we like, we like that. Um, I, I have, most of my family are not Christian and I have some brothers who they haven't made a commitment to their girlfriends who they've been living with and have kids, but they haven't, they're a functioning family, but they're, they still have their back door open and it's really hard. It's really hard for me in, in that sense, but, but we don't like to define the relationship. Because it means commitment. It means we become devoted to them. And uh, this morning, I I don't know where you guys are. I don't know if you would be honest. And and this isn't a question that anyone has to answer out loud. Because often when I answer out loud, I usually just say what I think is right. Um, But answer within and say, man, am I I really a, a follower of Jesus? Or am I just a fan of the benefits that he gives me? I don't want to to make it sound like we have to do a bunch of stuff because we don't. But true, true faith in Jesus looks is one that acts. True faith in Jesus is one that that just like the apostles, they're like, I don't care. Like you want to beat me, you want to do these things. Like you, like stuff's going to get hard. I don't care. You're the keys in John chapter six, Peter. When Jesus asked him, do you still want to follow me? Or do you want to leave like everyone else who left during that hard teaching? And he says, he says, you are the keys to eternal life. There's no other way. There's no other way. So it doesn't matter how hard it is to follow you. I'm devoted. I'm committed. And if we're really honest with ourselves, are we really committed? Are we really devoted? In Romans chapter 6, um, it kind of talks of this principle of, of dying, of dying to yourself, what it means when you come to faith in Jesus that you die to yourself. And um, this is a a passage that's quite often used in regards to baptism. And and I wanna say this before I read it, that the baptism that's being talked about, I know we think water baptism, what it's talking about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you come to faith in Jesus, there's this thing that happens, just like in the Old Testament, when they would would do these sacrifices because even the temple had to get cleansed. They would do these sacrifices to cleanse the temple. And the sign that the temple had been cleansed was that they would see the the spirit of God, his presence in there. They would know, okay, it's been cleansed. He's in there. Cool. Um, And that was the sign that the temple was was finished and ready and, and the correct sacrifices had been made. Well, in our life, the sign that Jesus, that we've trusted in Jesus, that we're a follower of Jesus... Is that the Holy Spirit comes into our life? Now, that's not. I mean, it'd be cool if there's fire and stuff, and it was like that for the original apostles, but that usually doesn't happen. You're not gonna have fire over your head or anything, probably not. But, um, but what I can say is, is that you, there's there's a time that you know that God, for some reason, there's like you. It's like you can't go and sin anymore. You just like you're led to God. You're just like I, I can't I can't help it. Like for some reason, I want to read my Bible. I, don't, I didn't want to read my Bible. I hated reading before I came to faith. And for some reason, I had this urge to want to know God more. And the sign is that the Holy Spirit comes in. Anyways, I went off on a tangent. Back to the verse. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Um, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. I died five and a half years ago, but Jesus rose again. The the really amazing benefit of him raising from the dead is that is that now I can walk in newness of life. I, in a sense, am resurrected. I don't have a, maybe a glorified body like he had. He had this really special body, which we will have one day for those who are followers of Jesus. But, but in a sense, God has, has redeemed me and made me a new person. I'm a new creation. I don't, I'm not like Nathan was. In fact, I, a lot of times, I, the, the biggest thing that's holding me back from being looking like Jesus is Nathan. I'm in the way. I got to get rid of Nathan. I don't want. I don't want any more of him. And and it's so important that he rose from the dead because as as he just as he died and we are we're buried with him in death, we are risen anew with him in a new life. We are a new creation. Um, I just uh, I just want to say if if this is something that you've thought about, um, if this is something that's been really maybe challenging you. And maybe you, you want to find out, like, am I, am I a follower? And you, and you have questions about that. Um, we'd love to talk to you. Um, whether you come and talk to me or Drew or some of the other leaders here, like, or or even someone right by you, someone you came with, like, talk to them. Like, and be like, be honest. Like, there's no reason to not be honest. God knows your heart. I, I, I can only make, a, you know, poor judgments probably on you guys. God knows your heart. And, and the worst thing you could ever do is, is say, oh, yeah, I'm a follower. And go through your whole life and say, I'm a follower, I'm a follower. And on the last day, for God to look at you and say, you're not a follower, you're a fan. I would hate. And then for you to think, oh, but at least everyone thought I was a follower. That's, that's not what you want to do. So if, you, if that's something that you want to do, or if you're ready to die, please come talk to us. Let me pray. Father, you, uh, you challenge the heck out of me. You are so good. And we are so thankful that on this day, over 2,000 years ago, you rose from the dead to give me new life. That I can now walk with you in a way that I never could without you. God, I just thank you so much for, for just the opportunity to join you in death. Because that's the only way I can ever be resurrected with you. God, we thank you so much. And we thank you just for the opportunity to come together and, and learn about what your truth teaches. God, I pray that as we go out today, we we can have fun and enjoy, enjoy Easter. Enjoy the time with family and friends. Um, that, but that we wouldn't just... Think of this morning as, as like, well, that was just what we talked about Jesus in the morning, but now we're just going to do our Easter thing. Father, I pray that this is something we can talk about throughout the day. That we can have joy saying, Jesus is risen, and it means something. It changes me today, 2,000 years later. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.